we're going to conclude some thoughts that really started in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, that really go all the way through uh, chapter to chapter 4, and we'll see the idea continue as we go through 1 Corinthians, but the idea is that there was division in the church in Corinthians. The, the division in the local church was severe and there was some trouble there. And you say, well, man, well, what was the problem? Well, there was a false view of man's wisdom. They highlighted uh, man's wisdom and that was very, uh, very comfortable in that culture to do so. And then the other thing is they were highlighting personalities within the church and uh, it was causing division. And uh, what's interesting is uh, Thistleton is one of the commentators that I've been uh, reading and just studying and getting my mind around some of these thoughts. He reminds us, as, he, as we conclude these thoughts uh, on division, kind of wrap up this section, that ministry carried out for reasons of self-esteem, which we've seen already, of status-seeking and self-interest, they can damage the church. Isn't that true? It is so detrimental. Division is like a deadly disease that can get its way into a church and cause it to really, really struggle. Well, today, uh, Gordon Fee, he says this. He says that that this passage that we're going to tackle this morning is the strongest warning in the New Testament against those who would take the church lightly and destroy it by worldly wisdom and division. So why would Paul spend so much time all these, all these verses, all these chapters, and why was it so strong in that uh, that he kept on doing this? Well, because we know that when the church is not protected, when unity is not highlighted, that the church can crumble and it can fail. It was interesting, as I was studying this week, I ran across a pastor that was talking about this particular passage, and he talked about these wolves and these oxen, um, that, that there was a strange dynamic way up in the Arctic Circle. And so I did a little Google search on it, and I was able to find a little clip, and I want you to watch this. And as we do, there's these oxen that are ginormous and huge, and then there's these small little wolves And there's this interaction, and I want you to watch what happens when the bigger, stronger animal, the oxen, when they become divided, well, let's check it out in this video. You'll see. Musk oxen. Males stand five feet at the shoulder and weigh a massive 800 pounds. Aside from polar bears, they are the largest animals that roam the Arctic tundra. But even they are vulnerable to predators. A pack of Arctic wolves catches the herd scent. The musk oxen scramble to form a defensive ring. The adults, equipped with long, hooked horns, are more than a match for the wolves. But it's not the adults the wolves are after. The herd panics and runs. It is a fatal mistake. Their lines broken, they cannot protect their young. The wolves separate out a calf. Though it's as large as the alpha male wolf, the calf is still one against many. 
Without the help of its herd, the calf eventually succumbs to the pack. A few days later, the wolf pack is on the hunt again. Their quarry, as before, are musk oxen. The oxen try to run away, but this time the adults stick close to their calf. Built for the frigid Arctic, musk oxen will actually overheat if they run for too long. They whirl around to face off against their pursuers. The wolves try again to make them run. But the attempts are half-hearted at best, and the oxen stand their ground. Opting for easier targets, the wolves move on, leaving the tundra free for the musk oxen to roam again. All right. So we're talking about unity these last several weeks, really since the beginning of the year almost, and just saying how important that is to guard unity. And what we see here is the picture of what the enemy does, right? If Satan can scatter the mature, if there's a break in the mature, in the, those that the adults in this example, then Satan can devour the young. And you say, the young, what are you talking about? Well, within the church, when the enemy attacks, or when there's a church split, who really, where's the fallout? It's in those that are young in the faith most often. Those that are not grounded, they are destroyed by the enemy. Those that are mature, they'll go on. They may, they may go to a different place to worship. They may, they may continue uh, to grow in the Lord, but it's the young that often are failed. And I'll tell you, what's interesting is that we saw that the first time they're divided, they started to run, and the small oxen was taken the young of the fold, the second time they stood their ground together and the wolves, they took off. And what's interesting is in this series of messages, you may be thinking, well, what in the world? Is there a problem here at the Gateway Church? What's going on behind the scenes? Is there this divided sense within the church? And I would say absolutely not. There is unity here at the Gateway Church, amen? But the Spirit of God is saying through His Word that we must stay unified. Church, this is so important. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, why don't you turn there with me. It says this, that, to, that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. God is doing a wonderful thing. In fact, I would say that he's doing something incredibly special here at the Gateway Church, but we cannot afford to drop our guard. It's that critical. It's that important. And we must be committed to unity here at the Gateway Church. Now, that does not mean that we can never disagree, right? I'm not trying to brainwash anybody uh, in this season of the church. We're not asking anybody to drink any Kool-Aid here at the Gateway Church. We, cannot ex we can express our opinion, but if we're going to say something, how many would agree we need to have a godly perspective? A godly perspective where we've sought the Lord individually. Maybe we've even sought wisdom saying, God, how can we express this in a godly way? And if the words and the actions are ungodly in, every, in any way, we need to repent. And that's the 
That's what is happening in the church at Corinth. The human wisdom, the human leaders are exalted. The result was division there. And that's where we find ourselves here. And we're going to wrap up these thoughts in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So, whereas you should be there by now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to stand to your feet as we honor God's Word, as we read these verses. And then today we're going to talk about three principles that will help us to avoid division. And of course, we're talking primarily about division in the church, but these words, this unity idea will work in your school, it'll work in your work environment, it'll work in your family, in your marriage, and uh, these are some powerful words. But let's read these uh, straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If anyone of you thinks he is wise by standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or, the, or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ, of Christ, and Christ is of God. Lord, these words are so powerful. And uh, Lord, I pray that they would speak to us this morning right to our hearts and help, them, help us to not only to hear these words, but to apply them as well. We give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So this morning we want to talk about three principles to avoid division. And the first one, if we're going to avoid division, we must have a proper view of the church. If we don't, division is inevitable. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, which we studied a couple weeks back, it says, Are you not mere men? As if the church belonged to men, Paul is saying. He's saying, no, the church belongs to God. He's reminding the church at Corinth that, that God owns it all. That the leaders belong to God, the church belongs to God, the people belong to God. And he reminds us even in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, he says, we are God's. We are not God's, we are God's fellowship. We are, it all belongs to him. And so a proper view of the church. Let's look at it in verse 16. It says, don't you know? Let me just pause there. We see that phrase 10 times in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. Besides that, Paul only uses that one other time outside of speaking to the Corinthian church. And it's a strong, don't you know? And what does he say? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? By him saying this so strongly and so repetitively, it's clear by their current behavior that the Corinthians, they don't either embrace this and understand it fully or they don't know who they are in Christ. 
The history, of course, is when we talk about the temple is that there was a lot of pagan worship. There were shrines and temples. And the Corinthian believers, many of them were saved out of that lifestyle. And they still wanted to participate in some of the culture that they were used to. And so Paul is calling them to the fact that there is only one God. There's only one temple. And they are the temple by the fact that God's Spirit lives in each and every one of them. See, Paul is talking about the church here. Uh, there are some, uh, and he's talking about a corporate place of God's dwelling. He's not talking about the body, uh, that our own bodies. In fact, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's, it's interesting. If you just flip a page over, you say, well, I, I've heard that you know, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, where we see that is a little further, actually, in Corinthians. In verse 19 of chapter 6, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? who is in you, who you have received from God. You are not of your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And in that context, yes, indeed, we're talking at there is talking about our bodies and how our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ lives inside of us. We understand that. But in the context of chapter three, it's talking about the church. And it's important for us to understand that. See, the emphasis is on the body of believers together, that we are the temple of the living God. It's talking about the local church, and we can bring it right home, right here. The Gateway Church is a temple of the living God. And what's awesome is if you study Scripture in its entirety, in the Old Testament, the temple was always sacred. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 16. This is a a great passage. Listen what it says in verse 2. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, into the temple of God. And God is telling Moses, Look, this is reserved for a special time. Listen what it says. It says, um, Tell your brother not to come whenever he chooses, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, or else he will die. It was a sacred place because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. We see something very similar in Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3, verse 10. It says, Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Uh, Anyone who approaches the sanctuary, the temple, the holy place, must be put to death. There were times in the Old Testament, only once a year or on special occasions, where the priest would be able to enter into the holy of holies. In other words, what we're seeing here is that there was great care in the temple. It was holy. Now you fast forward to the New Testament and maybe even here at the Gateway Church for sure is that we live under a new covenant. We understand that the the veil in the Old Testament that was there was ripped in two. And now we, as the church, when we gather, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. This is a place, the presence of the Lord is here and we can worship Him without any restrictions. But the idea here is that the temple of God was a holy place and that the Spirit lives in us. 
the church. We are the church. Let's look at verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, this is the, uh, like Fee was saying earlier, this is the strongest uh, example where Paul is saying, look, the church needs to be strong and defended. Listen to what it says. It says, uh, don't you know, uh, this, if the, anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. It is a very serious thing to tear down a church, the local church, the body of Christ. You say, well, you know, I know people that have done that. And I'll just say, it is a very serious offense to tear down. So whether you meant it or you didn't, if there was an ungodly attitude that caused the church to be tore apart, or if there was gossip that tore down a church, or if there was uh, someone that was sowing seeds of discord, this is of the utmost seriousness. You cannot do that without it affecting you. This is a warning for all of us, me included. Paul is saying this is a serious offense and we must view the local church as a place where God dwells. And there's great respect. There needs to be respect. This is a place of sanctity, of sacredness. And I'm not talking about the building, the structure. You guys understand that. But the organism, the church as the body of Christ. Now, this is a place where God is moving and he's changing lives. We see that week in and week out. You know it's true. Many of you are tracking with us and growing with us. And that's why you're here, because God is moving and changing lives. And if we can remember this, that a proper view of God's church will avoid division, God will help us in that unity peace. But there's a second thing. The second way that we can avoid division is a proper view of man's ignorance. And we've seen this already, but it's Paul one more time. He's saying, how worthless is our opinion, our ideas in comparison to God's word. Isn't that true? Apollos, Peter, Paul, which leader was best they, they, they talked about? And Paul is reminding us that if we're going to rank or categorize people it is foolishness. It is ignorance. And let's look at verse 18. It says, Does not, or Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. If we're going to compare godly leaders, which that's kind of assumed here, that Apollos and Paul, Cephas, those were godly leaders. But if we're going to compare them with human wisdom, church, that is dangerous. You say, oh, I like this pastor better, or I like this preacher better, or I like this worship leader better than someone else. The point here is, do you really think that you can evaluate this? No. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says a man looks on the outward appearance, but it's the Lord that looks at the heart. Isn't that true? 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, which we'll look at next week, it says to judge at the appointed time. It's God who will judge, and it's only God who knows the heart of men. Human wisdom, whether it's style or appearance or intellect, those things are prevalent in the American church, in the American culture. In fact, I think in America um, that there's an arrogance about the, our culture, within our culture, in regards to pride. That where pride, the scripture says, leads to destruction, but in America, pride is almost like it's a virtue. It's, some, it's like, where did the humility go? I was watching with a friend of mine on Sunday night, uh, last Sunday evening, uh, on ESPN, I think it was, the Fab Five. Has, has anybody seen that? Um, the, the review of uh, back in the early 90s, that was the, you know, when I was in high school. And I mean, I remember the Fab Five, the Michigan, great Michigan team, uh, the five starters. And uh, what was interesting is I was thinking, last Sunday night, as I was thinking about this verse, it kind of just brought it to me, that these five players, they were so confident so cocky, they would say, man, we're the greatest, we're going to make it, we're going to do this. And uh, what's interesting is that it really, uh, they even in the story, they refer back to that confidence coming back from the days of Muhammad Ali, where Muhammad Ali stood up and said, I'm the greatest, right? And if you think it, if you can feel it, if you've got an opinion in the American culture, or if you think you're great, you can stand up and say, hey, I'm great, or everyone's opinion counts. And what happens is that comes into the church, and that's dangerous. It's dangerous when it comes into the church because unity can be affected. It does not matter what I think. It matters what it says in the Word of God. And that's why we highlight God's Word. Look at what it says there. I love it. And we've talked about this word before in verse 18. It says that it's foolishness, right? He should become a fool. You should become a moron if you want to become wise. What? And in our human thinking, that doesn't make sense. Let's continue verse 19. It says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness. It's moronic in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Now, I love this. Wisdom of this age is foolishness. Whether it's style or appearance, it's worldly. Whether it's a big church or a small church or, boy, that pastor can really preach. All those outward things, especially when brought into the church, it's not spiritual. It's not the insight that we need as a church. Man's wisdom is not adequate. It just isn't. Then there's that reference there in, from Job chapter 5, verse 13, uh, where, where it says, he catches the wise in their craftiness, as to say, be sure your sins will find you out. And then in verse 20, it's another reference to the Old Testament in Psalm 91 uh, or 94, verse 11. Uh, it says there, um, again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. The idea there is that, that this, they're the smartest people in the world. You could go to the Harvards and to the Stanfords and to the, uh, to the you know, U of M and get the smartest people of the world and put a spiritual need in front of them. 
and they will not be able to discern it because it's spiritual. See, we may not know many of these things until Jesus reveals it all. We talked about last week that at one point we will stand on the judgment seat, on the bema, on the podium, where all will be revealed. And the fact is, is that there are people that we may have had questions about, saying, oh, I'm not sure about them, or, or maybe people that are off our radar, and when they stand on that, on that judgment seat, and when all is revealed, God is going to have a high view of them. There are other people that we may have had a high view of and said, boy, look at them, look at their family. Um, and, but when revealed, when they stand there before the throne of God, they'll have nothing to show. They'll be saved by fire. And so Paul is saying, look, none of this is important. It's important for you to keep man's ignorance in perspective. And then he nails it and kind of brings it to a close in verse 21. He says this. He says, so then no more boasting about men. He's wrapping up this whole first thought. No more boasting. And so we've said to avoid division to bring unity. If unity is the goal, which is powerful, we need to have a proper view of the church, proper view of man's ignorance. But then there's a third thing. I think we need to have a proper view of God's grace. It's what God gives us is His grace. We don't deserve it, but we see it there in verse 21. It says, No more boasting about men. All things are yours. Everything is is for the taking, for yours. Romans 8, 32 says that God gives us all things. God gives us everything. And then he goes on in verse 22, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the idea there is that whether it's the teachers that are before you, they're all for you. They're all for your benefit. They're all for you to learn from. And then it goes on, whether it's from the world, because there are things within the world that we can use and bring spiritual application, or life. And of course, there's some that will say, oh, that's eternal life, and certainly there's, uh, that can be. Or death, or the present, or the future. All by God's grace, there's richness in Christ when we can embrace who God is in our lives. And then he drives the point home in verse 23, and he says, And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. If we can take that verse, if we can internalize that, if we can embrace that and live that, there would be no division in the church. There would be no room for that kind of evil. So we need to do everything in our power to bring unity, to bring peace. You say, why is it so important? Well, there are families that walk through our doors each and every week that need to hear a unified message to know that God is at work here. And we know that when there's division, the enemy has a foothold. There are marriages, even here, I believe, this morning, that need a miracle in their lives. 
And each week we need to see unity here at the Gateway Church to be able to come alongside and to help those marriages along. We need to see unity because there are people that are addicted to all kinds of things that the world would offer. And they come in and they need to see a unified front where God is at work and there's power behind that. Church, can I just say this? If you care anything about this, don't let a 10-cent argument ruin the church. Protect unity. Be on guard because we're human. There will be jealousy and pride and anger that will emerge or we'll have, to, we'll have to address at times. I have to guard against these things just like you do. But church, when we do that, when we guard against it, when we are careful about it, what happens is there is something supernatural that happens. Turn with me to one more place as I wrap up into uh, Psalm 133. Very popular verse, uh, a psalm here. But listen what it says. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Haram were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even life evermore. What this is, it's a picture of unity. And what we want at the Gateway Church, we must be unified. And I believe that God is calling us to a greater sense of unity in this season. Last Sunday night, we mentioned it, that we uh, unveiled the plans that we believe God is calling us to, to do, to, to be able to raise the capital, to, to have these prayer meetings, and to, we believe that God has given us everything we need within the church to be able to raise the $2.5 million to do that. But we need to be unified about that. And we need to be seeking the face of God Asking the Lord, what, how can I be obedient in these areas to be able to see this vision come to light? And church, I need each and every one of you to be guarding against division, against anything that the enemy would love to come in and get a stronghold. And we need to be sharp, razor sharp this season of the church. That's what God is calling us to do. And as we look at these thoughts, we know that the division can be avoided by having a strong view of the church, that this is a sacred place. When we gather together, this, we are the church. We can also, to avoid those, uh, the, the ignorance of man, human wisdom, but then to focus on God's grace. None of us deserve any of this, but with God's grace, we are going to see God's work accomplished here at the Gateway Church. Amen? Amen. Amen.